If you're looking for a clean, sober, professional, academic, well-researched, historically accurate, generally accurate, serious podcast on Southern folklore, ghosts, bizarre events, and unique people, this podcast is not for you. However, if you've decided you can live with that, then join us for The Strange South. It's a, it has a very it. sophisticated look to it. I'm eating these. I don't know. We're on, but I'm eating these. Hi, Patrice. Hi, Marleo. Oh, no. It's going to be AMSRARSM. What is it I called? I know better. <laughs> it's AMSR? Fine. AMSRARSM. ARSM. MRSA? No, it's MRSA. The crunchy crunch on the microphone. Oh. Hi, guys. Hello. You want to say hi to me? Hi. Oh. <laughs> You're part of guys. <laughs> hey, Courtney. Hi. Hi. Drinking our fancy, Yay. sophisticated looking. Yes. We're trying to name it. It's, it's, we did. The holiday heads up. It's beautifully Holid- amber colored. Mm-hmm. It looks like we're sipping whiskey. It makes me want to burp. It, so it looks like we're sipping a lot of whiskey. Yeah, like a it's like full, five, five fingers. Yeah, <laughs> five like fingers. Full, full rocks glass full. Of, <laughs> um, but it's not. I decided to do this. Everything but the kitchen sink that's in my bar mm-hmm. at the house. Everything but the kitchen sink in my bar. I wanted bar. to do a champagne cocktail Everything today because we're recording cherries. on a Friday afternoon after Thanksgiving, and I was like, which we we're not going to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> not talking about Thanksgiving. <laughs> You're, we're already way in the future. It's probably Christmas by now. <laughs> and so I was looking at recipes. I was like, let me do something with the champagne. Anyway, I found one quickly that had Benedictine in it, which I have not used since, I don't know, 2019, mm-hmm. probably, in your birthday drink. Yeah. And I was like, nothing ever calls for Benedictine. So Strawberry I was onion. like, I have that. It calls for brandy. Have that. Quantro didn't have. Marleya thought she could sub triple sec. We've already talked about this. I triple got sec is smacked. <laughs> way inferior to Quantro. I was like, so, I just got this whole jug of triple sec. She's like, no. No, that's a no-go. And then... Um, I'll drink it with you, Marleya. <laughs> Quantro, Brandy... Oh, I can't even remember. Quantro, Brandy, Benedictine, and Champagne. Champagne. It's Sometimes. delicious. Yeah. So, Benedictine, what is that exactly? It's like a florally liqueur the monk yeah from the monks yes i don't know exactly we could get the bottle and look you at open it. the bottle and it goes yeah it's like a herbal i don't even know what the alcohol content is but if we add all this together there's a lot because it, it called for one and a quarter ounce of everything mm. and then top with champagne. Well, so. that's why I was like, I really need to sit because my tolerance has dropped. It and took me I'm a while to like... find that Benedictine. I had to go to Georgia, I remember. Well, I can't read the small print, but it has like D period, O period, M Dom. on it. Dom. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> Dom Perignon. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what that stands for. Like, Dom. Uh, damn old is it Monks. Is it <laughs> damn old monks? <laughs> <laughs> Let me it, see maybe it. it's Latin. Uh, D O M. It's fifteen ten is what it says too. A liqueur. It's got a pretty. Yeah, it's a beautiful wax seal, wax seal, on, the seal on the bottle. Uh, yeah, I remember it was. It wasn't cheap. Liqueur. I can't even say it. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> Dona <laughs> <is requiem. laughs> 
swack. Wow, I didn't know it was going to make us start chanting. <laughs> That's really good. You know the Latin of that? Oh, hell yeah. Oh, my God. I just make sounds. Oh, no, anything anything that went into my brain that had music to it when I was a kid, uh, I could recite like from start to finish for the rest of my life. I am trying so to teach percent. me anything now and we're all fucked. But like, if you want to know something that I learned when I was eight. Mm. I am so envious of that. Mm. That is not <laughs> yeah but it's like i tell all these stories and i spend like you know you and i spend time researching these things i mean sometimes sometimes we're just like fuck psh, 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 psh. but like sometimes we really like spend oh, yeah. time and then somebody will bring it up to me at a show or something mm-hmm. like that and i'll be like i don't even remember doing that that we did that like i don't know that <laughs> name i've never met that woman <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I do have to go through, and luckily we put enough into the website yeah. that I can search the website to make sure that one of us hasn't covered the new story. Yeah, because we both had to do that. We've been like, wait, this sounds mildly familiar. Did right? Patrice talk about this? Yeah. yeah yes. After, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And it'll yeah. be fine because we are almost, y'all, four years ah! into this podcast. That's bizarre. December, right? Yes. 13th. And we're back at the point now where I kind of forget which episode number we're on because we're like doing episodes more often. I was like, yay, we're back on track. Right. We're back on track. We're going to be like uh, 117. This is 117. Is it? Awesome. It is. We're so cool. Yeah, man, we did it. <laughs> four years. You guys are so cool. Y'all been like Y'all are listening to us talk for four years. Oh, oh I thought you were weird. talking to I don't me. Know what, yeah. <laughs> You're also, you like, two are the light of my job. life. <laughs> I've done such a great job. <laughs> the wind beneath my wings. <laughs> wow, this is making me tipsy already. Obviously also me. I have not, I should, I'm going to be talking it's here in good. a second, so I'm, I'm going to have to stop. Right. A little. Yeah, it's it's one that you have to get. It's kind of like everything else. It's like you get used to it and then it's gone. And Ooh. then you try to stand up and then it's, uh, oh. I'm really getting the florals now, well, though. It, there's 27 different floral. Oh, wow. Yeah. Can you name all 27? I, I think it's a secret recipe from 16th oh. century monk. Benedictine. And it's, out, it's from Normandy, France. Oh. Oh, right. Oh, its recipe comes from a 16th century monk and includes a secret blend of 27 herbs and spices in a neutral spirit that's sweetened with honey. Mm. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, I could feel that. Mm-hmm. I could get that. Adds honey. a refined spice sweetness. I have a palate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can taste that in there. Mm. Uh, well, that's the story. That's a story. Good story. That's a good story. <laughs> so, this is the holiday heads up. Holiday heads up. I love that name. Yep. What have you got? You've They're got a here. thing the that you remembered you were going to talk about. Yeah, the holidays are here. I changed my ringtone mm-hmm. back to Hamsterdam Stack the Halls. Mm-hmm. I love it. It's the favorite thing. I just harassed my children with it on my way here. That I, yes. I put it on repeat. Please, please don't do that. Oh, I'm totally going to do it to you. <laughs> Look at Patrice's face. She's like, I'm not here for this at all. I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> Switching gears, what you got? Oh, so I was just going to say, I actually... This whole break that we've been on, I have caught up on my sleep. I've gotten Yay. up, like, and feeling energy for Love like it. the first time, and I can't remember when. And Yay. and then like when, and I think the huge part of that is I've been taking naps. Yeah, yeah. it's like when I am tired, and usually about two o'clock when I get tired, I just I lay down and then 
take like an hour or two or three or five (laughs) and then get up and then, you know, do what I got to do and then go to bed at, at, you know, my usual time, Mm -hmm. which is early because we have kids. Mm -hmm. I've been going to bed way before everybody else and I feel refreshed and actually like ready to take on the world. Yes. In praise of actual like time off work. Actual time off work. Actual sleep. Sleep is so fucking important. It's so important. We... We should do sleep more often. <laughs> we should. It should be like a prescribed. It's like, well, you're going Honestly, to need really to get like 20 extra hours of sleep this week. And I'll be like, it's doctor's orders. Doctor's <laughs> orders. I have to leave work. My doctor told me I had to sleep. I have to, I have you to know, sleep. it's funny, though, because it's like it's, it's legit. True. Like it really it's is science. legit. Yeah. It's like it helps. It does. It help. should be a prescription. It should be. A, you it should, should be allowed to leave work. We wouldn't sleep. be compliant, though. We know it. No, but I mean, what's the prescription oh, I know. matter? Oh, I know. I'm we just well, the, pre- the prescription wouldn't matter because sleep they w- doesn't listen to you. They wouldn't be able to um, charge us for it. Mm-hmm. Oh well, that's <laughs> but I have watched some things that I have been meaning to watch. So I watched the Ancient Apocalypse. Oh, you did. Oh, I did. I watched that. Very interesting. Uh, talked about Louisiana, Mississippi in there, which was interesting. Mm-hmm. What's this on? Uh, Netflix. Okay. So I highly recommend it. It's kind of like a big duh, <laughs> but I I like it. Uh, I mean, there's problems with it. and Maybe I'll talk about it in the after talk if okay. you want to listen to that. Mm-hmm. You know, big spoilers and we can, we can go down that rabbit hole. And then uh, I was just tooling around on the internet during one of my non-nap times and uh, Kenneth Steed who's always writing in awesome ideas and like when new things come out so you know the house in between oh that's right yeah that I did the um an episode on they and this is the Mississippi house that's super haunted and there's like a documentary series on maybe Netflix again I'm not sure um but probably they have a part two that's come out. Oh, okay. And so I watched that. And again, and you, covered, you covered that on the show, right? I did. Yeah. I covered that on the show. Uh, just a lot of just movement and recorded and psychics and mediums and hypnosis. What do you call people that do hypnosis? Hypnotists. Hypnotists. Thank yeah. you. Uh, and, and going down that lane. Uh, again, I'll talk more in depth because I don't want to spoil it for anybody. But if you <laughs> if you were going to listen to the after talk, it's going to be spoiled because <laughs> I, ha- I have thoughts, I have, I have thoughts, I have opinions <laughs> on that. But it was interesting. It was an interesting follow up. I don't know if I learned anything more. Again, a lot of it was a lot of discoveries that were made was just kind of a big duh because we live in the South mm. and we know what goes on here. <laughs> We know everything. <laughs> so I don't even know the premise of this. The, the house, house between or the apocalypse? The apocalypse. Uh, yeah. Okay. So the premise is that there are events that happened like almost 13,000 years ago Ooh. that every culture has some sort of written documentation talking or written documentation. I'm talking about like figures and figurines and like. Some cave, cave drawing. Like that tracks, though. Yeah. That does yeah. track. That, that something like apocalyptic happened that all the cultures talk about. So From 13,000 years ago? Yeah, and, and it also talks 
about how, you know, we're not studying it. It's, it's kind of like we've got set in our brains that, you know, man was not technologically advanced before a certain time period. Like we were just hunter and gatherers and we were not um, advanced civilizations before then. And that's what archaeologists believe. And, and there's a lot of, of bias towards that. And so the guy who did this documentary is a journalist. And so you have to take everything with like, like any of this stuff, you have oh, to yeah. take it with a grain of salt. But a lot of like his theories that he presents is very, very interesting. And I could see where, I mean, it could be how he's presented it. Of course, it flies in the face with all, all of religion and Christianity, most importantly. Or does it? Or does it? Does it? Well, yeah, it does. Tune because, you know, Adam and Eve. Right. Um, <laughs> oh, it goes back that far? Oh. Well, it goes, you know, you're right. It, it goes pre... So basically, this apocalypse happened, and then we reset. And we reset. Okay. No, it's kind of the dinosaur thing. Yeah. But he talks about these ancient ruins and some of the things like the mounds that we always thought were just like Native American burial mounds, which a lot of them are, but some of them are older and are pre the time period that we have for civilized. Mm-hmm. So it's an ancient aliens type thing. No, kind of. It's no. not aliens. It's not it's aliens. People. people. It's, it's it's okay. People. People. Yeah. No aliens. Come not about. aliens. People. Only right. People, people. And and it and it's also you know some of the things that you would think are aliens like the spreading of civilization and culture. It's interesting his take on it, and I'm, I don't want to say anything okay. more to ruin it for anybody. She'll ruin it later. <laughs> I, I will ruin it later. So pre warning, like after talk. Oh. Totally going to ruin it. Good times. Good times. I won't be here for that then. I'm just kidding. No, you're a liar. You're going to stay. You can't drive home that fast. I can. (laughs) I can and I have and I will. (laughs) So there you go. That's all I wanted to talk about. So I recommend definitely the ancient apocalypse. Just just to get new ideas in your brain. You You don't have to believe them. And I recommend the strange south. Patreon after talk. Absolutely. Which if you're not a part and you want to listen to this fascinating conversation about the the ancient apocalypse, you should become a member because it's fucking cheap. Jesus it, it Christ. Is so it's three dollars. Like, I mean less than a coffee. We're like really I mean, cheap I dates. Couldn't we are cheap dates. There's three of us. I mean, each of us gets I a buck. get one glass of Benedictine for that. <laughs> I know, right? I mean it's this not that is... expensive. <laughs> And going on four years, we would love to go another four mm-hmm. years. Yeah, and you can help. And you can help, and too. and yeah, and then you get to listen to us. Like I don't know, give expound on more things At we the don't. Holidays, know you can Patreon give, oh, for someone else. Yes. Oh. I think I actually don't know how that works, but yeah, totally. Let's do that. Get their email address and sign them up. Yes. <laughs> they want it or not. Yes. And you get merch discounts. They'll be glad and it's not like a fruitcake of the month, oh, love. I know. It'll be yeah. much better than that. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank mm-hmm. you. So, you like uh, that idea? Do it. Courtney. Do it. Do it. Yeah. Courtney's now our marketing uh, <laughs> director. Thank you. Uh, pregnant pause while we run our oh, pre-roll. Don't use that word. Yes. Oh, okay. Pregnant <laughs> pause? No. Well. Is the pause the first part? Pregnant. <laughs> pregnant. Pregnant. <laughs> pregnant. <laughs> 
I'm taking a sip because I'm about to start my story. Do you want more Strange South every week? We can help. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you can join our Facebook fan group, Fans of the Strange South Podcast, to keep the chat going with our whole creepy community. Do you have a story idea for us or a story of your own to share? Email us at stories at thestrangesouth.com. Plus, if you join our Patreon, you not only help support the podcast, you get an exclusive bonus episode for every show and a discount on merch. You can find links to all of these things on our website, thestrangesouth.com, along with photos, links, and show notes from every episode, Strange South t-shirts, mugs, and other goodies. See you there. I, I just listened to all of the fireflies. Oh, you did? But you were here, you know. I was here. I wasn't. I need to listen to it. It's I out. Li- okay. I listened to it again. It's so... So interesting. Is it your okay. story? Yeah. So oh. interesting. You, oh, that's like, you had trouble. I felt like I whiffed that one. Really. You did. I don't. She went all scientific on our ass. And I was just like, God, she goes into like all of these like scientific. Because well, all I sat like, there, I was like, how do they do it? Yeah. Okay. Details. <laughs> and I'm like. Listen. It is just so it good. It just came out today, right? Yes. Like mm-hmm. an yeah. hour ago. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I was busy shopping for liquor. <laughs> <laughs> That's no excuse, Courtney. <laughs> and that's our next shirt. <laughs> I was busy shopping for liquor. It'll, it'll get sold as a two-pack with the Ain't No Shame in the Water Game shirt. <laughs> so, I have a story this week that has been plaguing me because I really wanted to tell it. So, today, I'm going to tell you about the sultry siren of the South. The tease from Tennessee. Oh, the queen of bondage. Oh, Miss Betty Page. Whoa, <laughs> what? I, you, are you familiar with Betty Page? No, but you are had you me familiar at, with Betty Page. Like, I saw the book you were reading. You had me at tease. I didn't look at anything. Most of what I'm talking about it, uh, comes from a good documentary that is based on mostly Betty Page's actual words and a book called The Real Betty Page by Richard Foster. The documentary is Betty Page Reveals All, and it was um, put together by Mark Morey. Betty Page was a 50s pinup icon. Yeah. So if you don't know who Betty Page is, um, you almost certainly would recognize her if you saw an image of her. Her Mm -hmm. image and style were like so just ubiquitous for a while. That's a lovely (laughs) pinup. Yes. Girl, look at this. I this do. is 50. Oh, she's. Oh, yeah. wow. Here, I'll, I'm going to no, hand you. That, that was not the pose I was going for. I'm going to hand you this sexy. book. There are a couple of. This is the real Betty Page. Um, and there are there are three different spots in the books where there are little glossies of Betty She's Page. Like, like Tarzan Jane. Yes. So very dark hair. You have seen her. She was a curvy woman. I think she was like 36, 24, 38. I mean, she was she was but her curves. waist is tiny. Oh, she's got a tiny waist. She worked out three times a week. She like, uh, you know, up into her like, which is unusual during that time. Yeah. She it's like if you pretty. picture a pinup woman with dark hair, Look, curvy she's, woman she's in snub nose, yeah. heels and fishnets and long, thick black hair cut into very short bangs mm-hmm. high across her forehead. You're seeing Betty Page. And it's like those bangs mm-hmm. that were really the calling card of Betty Page. And when I was researching this, I was playing the documentary on my big screen downstairs 
And my 14-year-old recognized Betty Page. Oh, really? Because hmm. her image, and my 14-year-old reads comic books, so we'll get into that later. Their image. What? Oh, my God, my 15-year-old. I just got, ah, I just got corrected because like, they're wait. fucking 15, y'all. <laughs> so you've probably met someone with a tattoo of Betty Page at some point in your life because that's a pretty big mm-hmm. thing. Or you've seen a music video where the singer had their hair styled or dressed like Betty Page. Oh, absolutely. So Madonna did it. Beyonce's done it. Rihanna's done it. Katy Perry did it. All of these people have emulated her work, her look. Sometimes it's just the bangs because that really is the kicker. But sometimes it's... They're very iconic. They are very iconic. Sometimes it's thigh highs and leather and whips. Mm -hmm. Sometimes... And this is all part of the Betty Page image. So how did a little Baptist girl from Tennessee... Mm -hmm. End up being a modern pinup bondage icon. Topless on the beach. Yeah. Topless on the beach. Well, I think you just said it mm-hmm. right there. Mm-hmm. First sentence. <laughs> so Betty Page was born in Nashville in 1923, and her parents were Roy and Edna Page. Edna was an orphan. Orphan. Roy was working at a garage, blue collar work. They Betty said they were beans and macaroni and fried potatoes, kind of poor. And she was the second of six kids. You know, her parents didn't get along. Roy once threw Edna out of the house in the rain when she was eight months pregnant with Betty's little brother, Jimmy, because Mm. she refused to have sex with him. Like, that's the kind of guy Roy was. Mm. Uh, Good Baptist. Right. (laughs) Well, she uh, so Betty said Roy would fuck anything that moved, basically. (laughs) I mean, like she like in the documentary, she's like sheeps, cows, whatever. My dad was like a degenerate. She hated her dad. Wow. They were living on a farm outside the city of Nashville when her mom found out that Roy had gotten the 15-year-old neighbor girl pregnant. Oh, no. And they got into a big fight. She broke every mom, broke every dish in the house, and she fucking hitchhiked to 30 miles to Nashville from the farm that night. Edna did. And then sent for the kids afterwards. And the problem was she's a single mom. She couldn't afford all of them. Right. So she kept the boys because the boys could work, and she sent the girls to an orphanage for a year. Mm. And um, Betty was 10 at this age, at this time. She never had a great relationship with her. I, that ain't a great way to start a relationship. Right. But she never had a great relationship with her mom. But Betty did really, really well in school. So she was outgoing. She had a lot of friends. She wants to be a Hollywood actress. She loves movies. She loves going to the movies. She would take her two sisters and they would like pose outside the house and, you know, like movie star poses and have somebody pretend like they were taking pictures try to do little modeling shows. I mean, she was like a regular kid. And then when she's 13, Dad Roy moves back in with them. Oh, I don't no. really know how this all happened. Oh, no. But he would mess around with her and her sisters. Mm-hmm. And he would give her 10 cents to go to the movies in exchange for messing around with her outside her clothes, mm-hmm. which she said she was lucky because she didn't get what her sisters got. Oh, Her my sisters God. got it worse than she got. Her so, sisters were younger too, right? Uh, Yeah, because she, she was the second. second. Yeah. And so um, she would like she would go hide out in movie theaters. You know, she's already obsessed with the movies. And, you know, she she kind of becomes more introverted after this for, you know, I mean, not obvious reasons. People are different and psyches are different. But um, she's a gorgeous girl and she's sought after all these boys. But her mom won't let her date anybody. Won't let her go to prom. Um, Mom makes sure that they're in the pews at the church every week and lectures them about, you know, whatever behavior they're they're doing, especially the girls. 
So Betty is super smart. She's really studious. You know, she keeps her head down. She goes to Hume Fogg High School in Nashville and she becomes editor of the paper, joins student council, joins ROTC, almost became valedictorian. It was like three quarters of a point she missed valedictorian. She was salutatorian. She was, yes, she was salutatorian. She gave a speech as salutatorian at her high school graduation. She won a scholarship as the salutatorian to the George Peabody College for Teachers. Just before high school graduation, she meets this boy named Billy and they start kind of sneaking out together away from her mom, who's very controlling and judgmental and um, jealous, actually. And they start sneaking around to go dancing. And, you know, she it's like her favorite thing. It's like she's a very I don't know. She's a vivacious person Mm -hmm. and she loves dancing all through her life. Dancing is like the thing she wants to do. And Edna finds out she's running around with this kid and she kicks her out of the house. Betty keeps on seeing this Billy guy. She goes she goes to college on that scholarship she got at Peabody College. She joins the radio guild. She writes her own radio play. What I'm getting at is like this was an extremely intelligent, motivated person. Mm -hmm. Right. She starts working for a secretary dictating or taking dictation for a book that one of her professors is doing. And, you know, she basically supports herself all through school. She graduates from George Peabody College in the 40s at a time when fewer than 5% of women graduated from college. But she was harassed. Peabody, too. Mm -hmm. Peabody. Mm -hmm. So she. Isn't it part of Vanderbilt? It was because the the, uh, valedictorian got a a Vanderbilt uh, scholarship. Okay. So she missed out on that. But I feel like there's a Peabody College within Vanderbilt. Like an under, yeah. And Mm -hmm. maybe that wasn't the case then, but maybe it got kind of put together. I don't know. So at this point, you know, she's getting ready to graduate college. Billy is draft age and it's 1943. He's also been watching in college. You know, you're saying she got harassed and stuff. She's been watching. He's been watching guys hit on her. Right. All her time while she's in college. And he's like, you need to like nail this shit down. You know, he's like, what happens if I get drafted and I go over there and I die? Like, you need to marry me now. Of course, you know, uh-huh. age old story. We've heard this a billion times, right? On Valentine's Day, 1943, they go to the courthouse at Gallatin and in Tennessee and get married. And as she's riding home from the courthouse, she's saying, and this is her words from this documentary, what have I done? <laughs> she's like, it's, it's, I always think of an arrested development. Job's character always says, I've made a terrible I've mistake. I've made a terrible <laughs> mistake. Yeah. Um, so she graduates top of her class. But then the next step after you go to the teaching college is you have to do a teaching, um, you know, you have to do like an an teaching job. You have to do yeah. an internship. And she hates it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Like she's in there. She doesn't have control of her classroom. She doesn't enjoy doing this job. It's like she's she's an academic person. She's extremely intelligent. She doesn't want to mess around with this particular job <laughs> with the with these children. Yeah, she doesn't. She doesn't like it for for whatever reason. I don't know what reason. That's the way it goes. Sometimes sometimes you like you got your heart set on like you want to do this thing. You've convinced yourself that this is your path. You've like worked hard towards it. And then you get there and you're like. This is not what I thought. This is not what I imagined because you romanticized it. It's hard not to romanticize. And to her credit, a lot of people continue on and do that job regardless because it's what they're trained for. And she was just like, fuck this. I'm out. Right. It was Um, expectations, especially during that time. I mean, what else is she going to Exactly. How many opportunities? She doesn't have to be a school teacher. And she's married married to a soldier. You know, like the the (laughs) military takes place, like takes care of its people, Mm -hmm. you know, especially during this time. So. 
But eventually, yes, Billy, not too long later, Billy is drafted and he's set to ship out from San Francisco. So they moved to San Francisco. Cool. And like I said, she's always loved movies. She always wanted to be on screen. She wanted to be an actress. So she's, you know, she's in San Francisco. She goes, does screen tests and things like that. But she really bombs at the screen test. Mm. And part of it is she's from Tennessee and she's got a syrupy accent. And they're like, we just, it just breaks it for us. Like, mm. we we can't do that. And, and she they, doesn't try and change it. Yeah. Well, during Good that time, too, they have, like, everybody talks a really <laughs> right. yes. weird, kind of not British, but, but almost, like this almost, almost upper yes. sophisticated dialect. It's a very, yeah, it was like a very weird, like, kind of almost probably more Northeastern than anywhere else. Right. But it was, yeah, it was a strange, generic, like, specific to Hollywood accent. Yes. Except for Maryland. I know. And we're, and she's a contemporary, too. So she didn't get jobs off of these screen tests that she did. And also, you know, one of the guys who was in the first screen test she did asked her to go on a date with him, which meant mm. something. Mm-hmm. And she said no. Mm. And she wasn't going to, like, you know, do what he wanted her to do to get the Harvey job. So Weinstein. he said no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, so she works as a secretary while Billy is shipped out. She takes a couple modeling classes because she knows she's good at it. And, um, you Gorgeous. know, it's a good way to get some extra money. Mm-hmm. And... It, Honestly, she's already basically moved on from Billy by the time he gets back. Mm. But they're um, they're still married when How he comes home. How long was he home. gone? <sighs> I can't well, remember. Well, the war ended in 45. 45 so yeah, it wasn't long. A couple of years. It wasn't long. Maybe like a year and a half or so. And he was also very changed, too, from being over Did there as go, everyone was. Did he go to the front line? Like I'm not actually sure. I know he was um, he was like 70 pounds lighter when he got back well, than yeah, when he left. So. <laughs> and um, he was also extremely jealous. I mean, he threatened oh. her with a knife at one point. Jesus. And so they divorce. And after, if you want to know all the intimate details of everything, <laughs> watch the documentary, read the book. I'm not going to get into every every little bit of it. But, event, you know, she moves around a lot. She goes to Florida, where her sister lives, and eventually she moves to New York City. And not long after she moves there, she has some bad experiences. There is a an instance of gang rape that happens to her. Oh my god! After she gets to New York City, which again I'm not going to relate all the the lurid details for. But um, you know she's she's got a complicated relationship with sex and sexual expression. Oh my god! I guess yeah. so. Jesus. So um, she she moves to New York City, I think, in 1949 or 1950. While she's there, she's she's doing secretarial work again. Um, she's got an apartment on, I think, 46th Street. And she meets a guy while she's at Coney Island one day named Jerry Tibbs. And he's a black police officer who is a, a photographer on the side. And he's a really nice guy. He sees her and he's like, this chick has charisma. She's she's beautiful. You know, she she just exudes something. And he's like, you know, you could be a model. And she's like, well, I haven't done really a lot of it, but I've taken some classes. And he's like, listen, if you meet me at my studio, come over and I'll take some photos of you and I'll make you a portfolio for free. So if you want to go out to other jobs then or auditions, you'll have a portfolio ready to go. So she's like, OK, we'll do that. And he, she goes to his apartment at the appointment. She meets him at a studio in Brooklyn and he takes a series of photos. Some of them are bikini photos. Some of them are lingerie photos. And he said he's like he keeps on taking these photos. He's like, there's something missing. He's like and he looks at her. He's like, you got a really high forehead. And he's like, if you would let me cut bangs into your hair, then it would kind of compensate for some of that because I'm getting a lot of flash off of this. I'm getting a lot of white. Right. 
Well, I'm glad he said that. I thought you were going like if you would just like lower your shirt a little bit, no. then that would balance. <laughs> they your were. He was 100% professional, 100% platonic. I love it, but was not expecting. I know. Any right? He was a good guy. What's yeah. that? You need bangs, girl. You need bangs, girl. And not so, sitting bangs. in his studio, he cuts bangs into her hair and takes the rest of her shots. I love him. And she never changes her hair. Like for the rest of even to the point where you don't see a whole lot of photos of her in her 70s, but even to the point where she's like in her 70s, she has got those bangs. So she comes out, she's got this portfolio and she really stood out. And, you know, you look at the bangs and I was like, I was trying to think, is this that different from other 1940s models? So I looked up other 1940s models, 1940s, 1950s, because this is very early 1950s. And in the 40s, there were women who had what they call bumper bangs. Right. And they were long. And I think of them as like Lucille Ball almost bangs is what I what I picture. Right. But they're longer and they curl forward. So it's kind of like a, a little bump that uh, maybe that's why they're bumper bangs at the front of their head that kind of curls. Well, it's like out. you use a curling iron and make them to make the rounded. Yeah, to make the bangs yeah. rounded not in the front. Out, not flip out, but flip under. And what Betty's were were really just bangs that were cut at that at mm-hmm. that length. So they were different from from what other 40s models. And when I looked at their shots, a lot of other 40s and 50s models were very um, they did a lot of the kind of aloof look, a lot of the come hither look. And when they were smiling, it seemed like a very performative thing. And when you look at tell me, okay, so you guys both looked at this book that I just Mm -hmm. passed you with all these little glossies of Betty Page. What strikes you in the pictures that you see? First one's her smile. Yeah, she has a really like. She's smiling in a lot of those outdoor ones. And mm-hmm. then, but then she goes to sultry, but mm-hmm. it's not like a far away hither look. Yeah. Like it's like a, come here. Yeah. <laughs> it's more out. I mean, she's, yeah. one of the photographers said like she reaches out at you through yeah. these photos. She doesn't just stand there and look come pretty. Come here. Love a boy. You know, it's like that. Love a boy. <laughs> like that. If he doesn't answer. So, love a boy. I know. That's the smile one. <laughs> Oh, wow. Sorry. I'm what are you looking at? Are you looking pictures. at pictures? Yeah. So what strikes you? What did you say? Oh, wow. About? Oh, did like, you hit some of the bondage shots? I hit shots? some of the bondage shots. Yeah. Yeah. Jerry Tibbs introduces her to what they called camera clubs, which at the time they had these things. And I think they still do them maybe some places. I don't know. But it's like 30 to 40 amateur photographers, usually amateur photographers who get together and they pool their money together and pay three or four models on a Sunday. They'll all go out together and they'll all take shots and then they'll submit their shots various places. And sometimes camera clubs are, you know, just regular swim shoot shots or, you know, a lot of hers were outdoors. The ones that you saw mm-hmm. where she's smiling in the beach or whatever, those those might have been camera club shots. They did a lot on Fire Island and the beach. But sometimes they went kind of into a more art mm-hmm. style where they're doing, you know, some of them might be nudes. You know, they might ask. And oh, like that, like that. Let me see. Yeah. She loves doing camera club shoots. It's fun. Mm -hmm. She gets to go outside and run around on the beach and it pays well. She pays more. She gets paid more in two hours for a camera club than she does in a week of doing secretarial work. She quickly becomes popular in the um, in the camera clubs because she's got that energy that you can see Mm -hmm. in her photos. There was one photographer who said she smiles with her entire body Mm -hmm. that like she just comes right out at you. She doesn't just sit there and look nice. Right. No, she's, yeah, you feel her energy. Yeah. She's living in the moment instead of like, how good do I look right now? Exactly. And Mm -hmm. she, and part of it is because she really has fun. Mm -hmm. I mean, she's really enjoying herself and it doesn't matter if they ask her, 
they they ask her for things. They ask her, will you do nude shots? And she's like, well, sure. Why not? You know, she's very much a why not? Like I will. She'll try anything. And um, they also she has a really good intuition for posing. So when somebody says, like, look at me, sultry, they don't have to explain, mm-hmm. you know, to change it or anything. She just hits it immediately. And there were some photographers in the documentary who said, like, she brings photographers out of their shell. Like she actually she's so charismatic that she actually made the people asking her to do these things like yeah. more open, Real open. Yeah. yeah. So um, anyway, she does when they ask her to do nudes, she doesn't bat an eye about it. She's she was raised Baptist. She's a she considers herself a Christian, but she said specifically she doesn't consider nude photography unchristian or immoral at all. She's very she's just an, as uninhibited doing nude photography as she is doing dress photography. So um, the problem is it's the 50s and the morality police is kind of out in full swing and they could get arrested for doing nude photo shots, especially in in public. At this time in the U.S., like the most popular bathing suits for women were like one pieces with mm-hmm. with girdles built in. Yeah. Bikinis weren't even really. A I know. Thing. That's why I was shocked when I saw all these bikinis she was in. in yeah. The 50s. And, that's, and that's the first some, thing I thought. Yeah. And I'm sure there were models who wouldn't pose in bikinis. Yeah. But she's also 60s are when the bikinis yeah, came in. Yeah, exactly. So I was like, well, and these so 50s. But here's the thing is she's also a really smart and curious person. She she doesn't get put off very easily. And so she starts thinking, you know, the fashion that works for these shoots just isn't out there to be bought mm-hmm. that often. And she starts designing her own bikinis and lingerie I, for these shoots. I'm not surprised because I didn't even think they were made, really. Yeah. So like, a lot of mass the sh- produced bikinis. Exactly. So the pictures that you see of her, a lot of those are probably designs that she that, created that and made right. for herself. Sorry, I went down like the whole. It's like, easy to image. Like I'm just, I'm fascinated. I know it's really easy to. So she does these camera clubs, and one day she's at a shoot out. It may have been on Fire Island. This one, but the 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 police are called, Uh-oh. and she and the photographers are all arrested. The guys, the photographers, the men are written up for disturbing the peace, and she's written up for indecent exposure. And she turns around to the police and like, not the police. I guess this is once they get to the police station. But she turns around and says, I will not plead guilty because I am not indecent. You have to take that off. That cannot be on my release papers. This is not indecent exposure. If you're going to charge them with disturbing the peace, then I'm being charged with disturbing the peace. But there's nothing indecent about what we've done. And they change it. <laughs> oh, good. Good for her. So the camera clubs lead to other things especially because they do some of these nude bikini lingerie photography shoots. She ends up in magazines like, um, so there was a publisher named Robert Harrison who published magazines called Wink, Titter, Flirt. These were, these were girly magazines. Hmm, they were don't kind sound of, girly. <laughs> no, they were, they were, I know, right? That were kind of sold under the table sometimes, mm-hmm. sold by mail sometimes. What were you saying? Titter does. <laughs> Titty. Titter. I, I Titter. Was being oh, she was being sarcastic. <laughs> oh, sarcastic. I was like, what? But Titter? these these also these also featured sadomasochistic <laughs> themes and kink themes uh, and dude. fetishist themes. Robert Harrison was like 100% against full nudity, but he was all about kink. She did like 75 appearances in these magazines from 1951 to 1956 because she would do anything. One camera club member then shared her information with a guy named Irving Claw. And Irving and his sister Paula had a studio that was, I think originally it was like a bookstore, but they also had a studio where they did, they did photo shoots for women on commission. And so they would have men write, Irving would have men write to him and say, I want to see a girl do this. Oh. 
and Irving would take the photos and hmm. send them by mail to the guy who requested. Sometimes the guys would send the costumes. I hope she was making a killing. She made pretty good money off it. And Irving had this kind of setup where if you did a shoot for him that was a non-bonded shoot, you were required to do one hour of bondage in order to get paid. So a lot of women wouldn't work with him. They didn't want to do that kind of stuff. She was very much a live and let live. She was like, if it's not hurting anybody, it's not right. hurting me. Somebody's somebody's enjoying it. Somebody wants it. Okay, I'll do it. And she decided this was a place to put kind of her acting chops into into use. And so if you see her bondage photos, she's very expressive. And I mean, it, you'd probably look at it and it probably looks tame to us now. I mean, it's it, I it's mean, an over the top. Right here, her tied in this chair backwards. Yeah. There's one. The but one, knowing okay. that like, she did this consensually and wasn't like trafficked and like, no, like, she wanted wasn't. to do it. And this guy was nice and it looks like his sister was involved and they were yeah, friends. They were. <laughs> it was yeah. the whole thing. Paula Claw was, was, yeah, one, it was actually the photographer. I think Irving was the person who did all of the kind of getting the information oh. and sending the things out. But Paula was a photographer. And there was, she said there was only one shoot she ever did with Paula that, um, that made her uncomfortable at all. And it was because it was physically uncomfortable. Somebody had her tied. There's a picture of it in there. Somebody had her tied from both of her arms, like X'd out. Her arms are tied, her legs are tied, and her legs are off the ground. Oh, yeah. And she's ball gagged in that picture. And she was like, we just had to stay there for so long that it was physically uncomfortable. Like, I didn't want to do it. Yeah. But that was the only one that she marked as something she didn't, you know, that made her uncomfortable is because it was physically uncomfortable to do. So you you see these pictures of her and some of them are just, I mean, you look at them and you're just like, these are glorious thigh high platform black leather boots with like white lace up. Some of it is just art. killer. Yeah. So Irving also did 16 millimeter film. He did some like some crappy B films. He did, there was one called Strip Tease, one called Teaserama Varieties. He did like a whole trilogy of tease movies that were, that were put out as burlesque movies. Right. Which, if you think about, I mean, a lot of what they did really was very akin to burlesque, if you right. like burlesque. Then he did some more fetish films. He, she Spanking films, you know, Jungle Girl Tied to Trees was one of her films with him. But she owned it. Right. And she did it and she owned it and she did it because she got paid for it and it was a job. So even though she did all these bondage shoots, this was not her thing. In her personal life, she was an extremely sexual person. She loved sex. Even in her 70s, she's interviewed talking about how much she enjoys sex. She's apparently exceptional at it by all accounts. Oh, wow. Everyone they interview that you. has had sexual like relationships <laughs> with Betty Page talks about the dreams they have 20 years later. Oh, <laughs> damn. I mean, she's apparently just a killer. And she has a lot of lovers over her time. She, but she doesn't cheat. You know, gen- well, maybe she did a little bit, but, you know, she <laughs> usually usually it's like one at a time. You know, <laughs> she she was very honest about her love to sex, but she didn't do bondage. She didn't even date men who smoked and drank. Uh, drink. Drink. They she drink. Didn't, she didn't. Dance. She didn't date men who drink. Smoke it. Smoke it and drink it. Drink it. Why are you cigaretting? Why are you cigaretting? One of my friend's little girl said that. <laughs> Why are you cigaretting? <laughs> she doesn't smoke, but she was around a bunch of friends and having a drink. And- Mom, why are you cigaretting? That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's going down. Too. I know. Mm-hmm. Why are you cigaretting? <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, Betty and Betty didn't like the smell of cigarettes on men's breath, so she wouldn't date smokers. There's a picture of her with a cigarette in there. I'm sure it was a, it but was, it's not lit. I know it's, it's a, a famous, yeah. it's a really famous photo, but it's not lit. She's she's not doing bondage to make a point. 
about it being acceptable. Yeah. She's just like she's just doing it. And um, she also was still wanting to be an actress. She has an agent. But all the things that happened to her in New York with the agent and the acting career kind of mimic what happened to her in San Francisco is like if she's not going to sleep with somebody, she's not going to get the job. They talk to her about, you know, her accent. Your accent just breaks the character. We can't do the accent. And she wouldn't change. You know, she's I don't know if it was she wouldn't. I'm not going to change my accent. But she didn't try. Right. It's like. Write a damn movie with Southern people in it. And no I'll be shit. For it. No <laughs> shit. And you know what? Fucking Tennessee Williams. There's plenty of stuff she could have done. I know, done. right? What's a streetcar named Desire? Come so, on. So, Blanche um, Dubois. In 1954, she takes a, a trip to Florida. Her sister lives in Florida. She always has, it's the place where she goes when she wants to get away. She yeah. loves Florida. She meets up down there this time with a professional photographer. You know, usually it's those camera clubs, it's those amateurs, and then it's Paula Claw, who's, you know, Irving's, you know, only fetish and bondage stuff. But she meets up with this professional photographer in Boca Raton named Bunny Yeager. And she does these weird jungle shoots with like wild animals. There's pictures and videos of her with cheetahs and chimpanzees and zebras and all this kind of stuff. That was a huge Hollywood thing in the 50s it was. and 60s, too, It was like I've Bride of Tarzan was censored, actually, for some of these things. Well, I've been re-watching movies, and I think that just the having any exotic animal, like bringing up baby, for instance, like just so you can have a panther in a movie. Yeah, for real. It was just a big selling point. Yeah, it point. was like, apparent, I'm sure the laws had changed, and people could, and they're like, let's bring in a wildcat into yeah. this movie. It doesn't really fit, necessarily. Well, that one did, because it was about that. But it was sexual repressive, yeah. too. In Hollywood in the 50s, yeah. there was like the Hayes Code was happening where like you couldn't even the golden Though age of cinema to... happened because it happened when you were officially not allowed to even say like cops are bad. Bad guys could be good. You know, like you can't. I mean, there were so many rules. I listened to that. You're wrong about. Yeah. Oh, I haven't. Oh, I need to. It's about the rating system. There are the, because this, uh, the Hayes Code mm-hmm. came before the MPAA rating system. Yeah. And it was. Jesus, I tried. I I really went down a rabbit hole when I was looking at this and all that stuff. But so in 1954, she meets up with Bunny Yeager. She does these photo shoots. She really enjoys it. And this is the first time she's worked with a professional photographer who's a female also. So she's having a blast with the photo shoots. And Betty has her pose nude for some. One of the ones she did was, uh, or sorry, no, Bunny, Bunny has, has Betty, Betty pose nude. <laughs> and one of the things that Betty does is she's she's posing on her. She's like sitting on her knees and she's nude in a Santa hat. And there's this little white Christmas tree in front of her. And she's taking she's winking at the camera and taking a uh, a Christmas ornament to hang on the tree. And Bunny submits that to the brand new Playboy magazine, which only opened in 1953. I think I've seen this. Betty Page became the 1955 January full spread pinup playmate of the month for January 1955. And 1953, when Playboy, yes, topless. I've seen that. 1953, when Playboy opened, Marilyn Monroe was their first cover, but they didn't take the photo. They bought the photo from someone else, just like this one. Mm -hmm. So, anyway, 55, Betty Page is top of her game. She's People know who she is. They're asking for her. They want her. They know all these things. She's Playgirl of the Month. Everything is great. And then the government gets involved in this is backtrack just a couple of years. In 1953, the Senate establishes the subcommittee on juvenile delinquency because they think that the nation is morally corrupt and mm-hmm. that media is causing moral corruption. And this is kind of the the blow up of the television era, too. Right. So. You know, they're like, oh, my God, our kids' minds are going to be filled with all this filth. 
So they're scheduling hearings across the country. A lot of them are public hearings because really the goal is to shame people. They're trying to address how media is contributing to juvenile crime. And they've already hit the comic book industry really hard and damaged a lot of reputations and damaged a lot of careers. What was the was it Mad Magazine that went from comic book to magazine because of this? Because of the Kefauver hearings. Mm -hmm. And after they had this kind of victory with the comic book industry, they started to hit on mail order pornography, which is where Irving Claw's work really is categorized. There was a kid in, I think, Florida. I can't remember where this kid was. His name was Kenneth Grimm. He was a 17-year-old. He was a, an Eagle Scout. And he died by, it was basically autoerotic asphyxiation. Mm-hmm. He, had, he had trussed himself up mm. in an inverted position in a tree. Mm. And he had, he had basically strangled himself. Mm. And his father... Clarence had um, had presented like a detailed account of his his killing in this or his his death in this hearing and in this inquiry. And his father had gotten mm-hmm. his hand on one of Irving Claw's mail order catalogs that had a picture of Betty Page trussed up mm. and decided that because his son may have seen this, which there's no evidence that his son had actually ever seen any of these images that Betty Page and Irving Claw were responsible for his son's death. Oh, my God. And so... Um, this is what happens when you don't talk to your children about yes. sex. Exactly. Yes. So Kefauver had grabbed onto this as his, this is going to be my big media image for this hearing, and basically dragged Irving and Betty through the mud on this hearing. She was called to be present, but she never had to speak in the hearing. Irving pled the fifth and was charged with contempt of court. Nobody was ever charged in the end, but Irving ended up leaving kind of traumatized from the hearings, burned 80% of the negatives that he had taken and closed down shop and moved oh, to wow. Florida. And it was, it was super McCarthyist, mm-hmm. all of this stuff. But Betty suddenly, you know, if you like look through historical, you know, all the records, she just goes dark. You know, she's only been a model in New York for six or seven years and she's made this name for herself. Mm-hmm. And you just there's rumors that kind of ensue in the years following, like she's gone to England and married a duke or she's, you know, she's been murdered or, you know, all these things. But nobody really knows what happened to her. So what actually happened to her was she just she went back to Florida in 1957. She did a little bit more work with Bunny Yeager, but she just quit modeling. She got back together with an old boyfriend in Florida. She got married, but it was just the same with Billy, where she like she leaves and she goes, I have made a terrible mistake. <laughs> in New Year's 1958, they're having this big argument and she storms out of it. It's like she wanted to go dancing, which is what she always wanted to do. And he was a homebody. And oh, right, why you he said, them? You need a I know. A and he tango said, dancer. I know you need a Latin lover, <laughs> yes. which she had had. She yeah. had had, <laughs> but he was married, unfortunately, in New York. So that didn't turn out. So, you know, he wouldn't take her dancing on New Year's Eve. So she kind of stormed out and went walking down the street and she passes by the halls of the Latin American Baptist Temple Church. Oh. And it's she hears singing and she goes in and she feels like God is speaking to her in the church. And she breaks down and she talks to the preacher. She gets the impression that God has disapproved of the things that she's done in her life. And so she's, quote unquote, saved in the evangelical sense. And over the next year, she is all God all the time. Mm-hmm. things continue to break down with the husband in 1959. She heads back to Nashville. She leaves him behind. And then she starts enrolling in Bible colleges across the country. 
She's like, she goes to one in LA. She goes to one in Chicago, one in Oregon, Oregon. And she even works for the Billy Graham crusade for a year. Oh, wow. And in 19, in the early 1960s, she, I just wanted to go. I know. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Yeah. She's being called to be a missionary. She feels like in the sixties, but she's, they tell her she can't do it because she's been divorced. And so, you know, she feels like she's found this purpose in life and they tell her she can't do it because she's been divorced. And someone actually Wait, tells Catholics her or no, Protestants, Protestants. What? And somebody actually tells her in one of these Bible colleges that if she goes back and remarries her first husband and leads him to Jesus, that it'll oh be better for God. her. Holy. So she goes back to Nashville. She needs some she, girlfriends. I know. Right. She goes back into this world of abuse and threats and sex bartering, which is her her husband, Billy, her first husband, her first Billy. husband? That's the only time she'd married. No, no she's, she's married lost. a couple times, maybe even three. Three. You know, she goes back to Billy and she does marry him. She remarries him. And a lot of shit happens. In the, and again, if you want all the details, go to the book, go to the documentary. But it's not good. This is not a good time. In 65, she goes back to Peabody College for a master's degree and then quits inexplicably, like two credits away from finishing and goes back to Florida. What was her master's in, do you know? Probably education. I think it was education. Mm. And then um, she meets when she's in Florida. She goes back out dancing. Thank God. She doesn't she hasn't given up dancing in all of her godliness. Right. And she's she runs into this guy named Harry Lear and they hit it off one night in Miami. He's lonely. He's a nice guy. He's been divorced. He's got three kids. And it seems like this is the start of a really good time. He cares about her. He admires her. They go out. They listen to live music. He takes her dancing all the time. Lovely. They get married. And they get married after six months of knowing each other. Valentine's Day, 1967. And, you know, they're like their family goes on vacations together and it all looks good. And then they, they settle into normal life. Some of this, like, she starts getting stricter with the kids again. Oh, no. She starts putting pictures of Jesus up all over the no, house and demanding Betty. that people pray. No. Everybody has to go to church three to four times a week. Oh. And no, in, in Betty Reveals All, Betty talks about the fact that she started hearing people talk to her through tape recorders. And no, she believes that what she's mental. hearing is God and angels. And meanwhile, Harry realizes that as she's talking, she's talking about like there being seven gods and that she's a prophet. And one day she gets the family in a living room together and pulls out a knife and says, if you take your eyes off Jesus, I'm going to cut your guts out. (gasps) Jesus. Harry gets a divorce in 1972, but he doesn't. And this is one of the reasons why I'm convinced that he was actually a good guy. He never abandons her. Yeah. She um, there's a ministry retreat in Boca at the time. It's called Bible Town. And she spends a lot of time down there and she kind of disappears into herself and becomes more and more delusional. And one night, Harry gets a call from the police that she's basically running up and down the halls of Bible Town with a pistol, like talking about God's retribution. He He's like, bring her to me. He puts her in Jackson Memorial Hospital. Four months, she's released back to Harry. And this cycle continues for almost seven years. Like so he how old cares was she for when her. This kind of break happened. She was born in twenty three, and this is 60? this is seventy two. This is so. This would have probably started around sixty eight, sixty nine. What would probably have been this mental break? So she would have been like in her forties, which isn't you know, and and anybody who's had uh, you know friends or yourself or family members who've had psychotic breaks, this is not an unusual thing. Like, you can't look at this and say, oh, she was abused as a child or she was this or that. 
because like I I know someone who had a schizophrenic break at, you know, like late 30s. It's they not can, an unusual no. thing. Really? They can happen that late? I it, thought it, it can happen. Like 20s. No, it's not always that case. I mean, it and it and it really is a they call it a break for a reason. Right. I mean, it seems very stark to everyone around you and it requires treatment, which she mm. wasn't getting. Right. So she was going in for these like Jackson Memorial Hospital. Harry thinks that they gave her shock treatments and stuff like that. They they did basically she have the accident. I did have a friend who had happened to her in her 30s. She'd had a car accident around the time. Mm. But was it like brain injury? Yeah, most mostly though twenties are when when things like that mm-hmm. that's more common. It's yeah, like manifest. Yes, it's not like it's impossible though. Later, as on. far as I know, she didn't have any injuries, any like any there's accidents like that. But it's that, possible. There's just theories. I don't think it's ever proven. She's going, and Harry says she probably got shock treatments. He said she was definitely over medicated. She was just definitely in the sixties. She, she got was shock. I guarantee out. you, she got shock. Treatments. Yeah, and she would come home, and she would be out of it. And but he always gave her a place to be. He gave her, he gave uh, her a home base. Bless he, Harry. And he did like he did give her things to do. You know, he's basically okay. You're you're basically going to be like a housekeeper. I mean, he's like you've got to you need his stuff to do. Mm-hmm. But he always gave her a place to be. Right. Finally, 1978. She's gone through this process multiple times. She's 55 years old. And her brother, Jimmy, in California, says, come live with me. And Harry is still pissed about this. And you can watch the documentary and see his face change. Uh, Jimmy told her to come out and live with him and then ditched her. Oh, oh shit. He didn't he didn't come pick her up from the train station. <gasps> he didn't. She didn't have a place to live. Uh-huh. So she had to kind of find her way. She's going on job interviews in California and she finds a place to live. But in 1979, police are called to her rental apartment because she has stabbed her landlord <gasps> without provocation. Oh, my God. And she's put in Patton State Hospital for 10 years. She is diagnosed officially paranoid schizophrenic, which would have been helpful seven years ago. And she finally gets treatment. And her mm. big complaint about being in Patton State is that she had to wear brown all the time. Oh, <laughs> You know, she, she gets put on the correct medication. She gets given therapy. And she stays for a very long time. And while she's in Patton State, something happens in the outside world that she's completely unaware of. So David Stevens is a comic book author and he wrote the comic book, The Rocketeer. I thought you were going to say disco. No. <laughs> Disco's been and gone. She missed it entirely. No, actually. What year? Um, yeah, I was like, so, right, that's now she was going. there for some of it. Still going um, into the early 80s. <laughs> in 1982, Dave Stevens writes the comic book, The Rocketeer. And he had come across some, the, uh, there's an artist, and I wish I could remember her name off the top of my head. It's Olivia De Something, who did pen and ink. And I don't know, I don't know what medium she used, but she she redrew based on pinup photos, you know, drawings and, and paintings of pinups. And she had done a lot of Betty Page. And David Stevens had seen it and been like, this is my girl. And so he makes Betty Page part of his comic book. His rocketeer character, his girlfriend is named Betty and she's 100% Betty Page. Oh, wow. And based on the rocketeer, her pop culture popularity, somehow it's like she hits the wave and it skyrockets. So there are people, by the time she gets out of Patton State in the early 90s, there are people buying merchandise with her face on it. There are people, you know, emulating her, like dressing her. like her. 80s or 90s. She went 80s. into, let's see, in the mid 90s. Okay. So she would have gotten out in the late 80s, okay. like right at the okay. cusp of 1990. To 88. And okay. the Rocketeer came out in 1982. Okay. So Madonna's material shit. girl. Well, not um, material girl, the sex sexology, the sex book. Sex, sexology. Sexology. Yeah. All of that stuff 
I has already happened. No, has no. is about to happen oh, okay. like, by the time Betty that was Page in the gets 90s. out. That was yeah. in the nineties. Yeah, and so she comes out and like her face is places. Her face is places. Her popularity has boomed. There's stickers, there's merch, there's stuff everywhere. And in the mid-90s, because all these people are kind of emulating her look, there are these reporters who are starting to try and ask the question, is this woman even alive? Right. Because she disappeared in 1957. Nobody's heard anything about her since then. Right. And so somebody finds her and she starts to agree to interviews. And she should be getting a royalty check. Exactly. And she's a fairly private person, but she makes some friends. And David Stevens, the author, is one of those friends. He he helped her set up some interviews. They She was able to set some records straight because there was some rumors about things that she hadn't done. David introduced her to Hugh Hefner, um, who had never met her, even though he had even used her picture the, uh-huh. in the 50s. Hugh Hefner loved her so much that he he basically set her up with lawyers and agents to protect her intellectual property. Oh, wow. Hugh Hefner set her up with people to represent her so she would get paid for all of this shit that was going out in pop culture. Oh, so that wow. she Because she didn't have any money. Yeah, I guess not. And so in the 90s, she made more money from her image than she ever did modeling in the 50s. And the main documentary I watch, again, Betty Page Reveals All by Mark Morey, it didn't include any video of her in her 70s. He interviewed her in her 70s or pictures of her because she said, I would like to remember my people to remember me how I was in the pictures. Right. But he, it's all audio. She Ooh. sounds like your Nana. I mean, mm. like she sounds like your Tennessee grandma. And she would talk to fans and fan groups on the phone sometimes. But Betty Page died in 2008 at 80 years old. She had been ill for about a year. She had had like pneumonia and maybe some heart problems. And Hugh Hefner was one of the people who attended a small private funeral. She was laid to rest near Marilyn Monroe in the same cemetery. Oh, wow. And she has a legacy that she didn't even create at all. Right. She was just trying to be... Her, she said, you know, a lot of people say that like she was a feminist icon, but she wasn't. Right. She wasn't trying to make a political statement. Mm -mm. She had. She's just living her truth. She was just, you know, she wasn't trying to pioneer. She said, I wasn't trying to change society or be ahead of my time. I didn't think of myself as liberated and I don't believe that I did anything important. I was just myself. Mm -hmm. I don't know any other way to be Mm -hmm. or any other way to live. And, um. Like that Dolly Parton honesty. Exactly. From Tennessee. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> and just this year, National Nashville Metro Historical Commission voted to create a historic marker for Paige at Hume Fogg Academic School, Ooh. where she went to high school, Aww. where she was voted most likely to succeed. <laughs> Lovely. So that's the story, the long, long story of Betty Page. It wasn't that long it wasn't that enough. You, y- y'all, you look like job. let yourself get buried in the rabbit hole of Betty Page photos. Oh my god, go Listen, down the hall. My heart is breaking. She though. is. Just fucking glorious. You can't oh. you can't not love her looking at her pictures, really. Look yeah. at this. I found I didn't know until you said at the very end that she had never met Hugh, but then he came in and mm-hmm. helped her because I had looked up that Christmas picture and in two thousand the um in twenty twenty there was an auction for that photograph signed by Betty and Hugh Hefner. <laughs> awesome. For three million Oh my god! Well, that those bangs are so fucking three million dollars iconic, (laughs) and I never knew where they came from. And it's like all these like these women that I've seen with the bangs in the fifties. Well, Katy Perry's especially. Katy Perry is one hundred percent unabashedly a Betty Page look. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yes. And, and I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, either. I didn't either. Mm-mm. I hap- I fell on this on accident because I found an untrue article about her murdering a landlord. Oh. And then I started she down. She just stabbed him. She okay. just stabbed him. She didn't murder him. And oh, she was her, that's un- unfortunately an untreated that's that. that's like really mental illness. And mm, it would have been that. maybe a little different, <laughs> I hope. Right. But I'm really, really glad that her story, like a lot of people, it looks like in the past, some people have told her story and ended at that. Right. She was committed to a mental hospital for 10 years. Well, she had a life after that. But that seemed to have done her good. Yes. Yeah. And it helped. It did help her. She did not die destitute and right. she did not die penniless. And right. she she got out of the Bible bill and she was able to appreciate and recognize that people loved her, her image. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really valuable. It honestly makes me a little teary. So, me too. Yeah. Me so too. anyway, oh, that's the story. Betty Page. She's awesome. Good job. Well done. Love it. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers to Betty. Cheers to Betty. <laughs> See y'all. Thank you. Bye.